0: Morning so, uh, yeah. Right, quick question. Do we have any ancestry people here? And, and what I mean by that, do we have any people who have traced their family line back as far as it can possibly go? Got a few of those around? There's something pretty cool about it, isn't there? I mean, I've done it as far as I can. I get to the 1730s in the south of England, and that's as far back as I've managed to go. I also had that DNA testing done, uh, and so I'm like 90% English and Irish, with 10% from the Tuscany region, which I assume is where I get my skin colour from, so uh, that's how mine basically mapped out. Now, I don't know what it is exactly, but there is something interesting about learning your family history. I mean, it doesn't particularly have any relevance to me, you know. The fact that I've got a lot of Irish in me doesn't make Irish jokes hurt that little bit much. Um, None of it I find particularly relevant. There's just something really interesting about knowing your heritage, about knowing uh, kind of that line that you come from. For each of us who's a Christian, though, we have a common heritage, we have a common lineage. We are part of a long line of people who have faithfully shared the good news from one to another, and sharing the good news from one to another has slowly down through the years led to your coming to faith. More than that, though, we can actually go back. We can go back into the Old Testament, and we can go to the long line of people that were slowly heading towards the coming of Christ, and the proclamation of the good news. Well, last week we looked at the joy, the grace, the mercy that we have in Christ that that kind of trumps the trial which is used to prepare us for eternity. Well, this morning we're going to catch a glimpse of just how privileged you are in Christ just how privileged you are in Christ. That would lead to a refreshed gratitude for what you have in Jesus. So, if you have your Bible there, you can open it up to 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. 1 Peter 1, 10 through to 12. 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Amen. So obviously the link to what Drew preached last week is our salvation. The passage last week finished with receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. So that's literally how it finished, right? Receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you see Jesus face to face on that day and you experience the eternal joy of being in his presence. So just to keep us in perspective for this statement, remember Peter is writing to a predominantly Gentile audience a predominantly Gentile church, who are facing persecution of their faith. In his encouragement so far, he's reminded them that they are chosen by God. He's reminded them of the future glory that awaits, of the fact that although they are going through trial, the trial is from God who is shaping them into the image of Jesus and preparing them for the eternal weight of glory. So, says Peter, you who are chosen, you who are facing trial, don't despair. You are going to receive the eternal kingdom of heaven, which is undefiled. So, says Peter, concerning this salvation, right? So this is, this is Drew finished, you receive your hope, your salvation, Now our verse passage begins concerning this salvation, this eternal joy of being with Jesus, this eternal future that sits before you. Well, says Peter, it was also prophesied in the past. So Peter now wants to take your mind back to the fact that what you now have, the gospel, what the hearers of this letter had, the gospel was actually also built upon from a foundation laid in the past. Why does he want them to know that? What is the point of telling a Gentile church that all of this was built on a foundation of those who prophesied in the past? Is he going to spring on them an Old Testament exam later on? So, you know, you better study up and be ready. No. He wants them to realize that what they have What you have this morning was actually longed for by the Old Testament prophets. It's meant to fill you with gratitude this morning. It's meant to fill you with peace and joy and richness of what you have in Christ as you realize that what you have was what drove the prophets of old forward. It's pretty amazing. So Peter wants you to grasp this deeply. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you. So what are we reading here? What are the definites? Firstly, it is a definite. They knew that grace would come to you. That's what our passage says. They knew for a fact Those who walked with God, those who heard from God, they knew that grace would come to the Gentiles. Right? That's the context of our passage. That's who Peter's writing to. And he says, The prophets of old, concerning this salvation, they knew grace would come to you. Not by accident, not in some weird way, but by the definite plan and purposes of God they knew that grace would come to you. Now, always remember that grace means unmerited favor. Right? Unmerited, unearned favor. You can't even earn a tiny bit of grace. If you earn a bit of grace, it is no longer earned. It's compensation for work that is done. Right? Let's say... Steve Hill rings me up one day. He says, Sam, I want to employ you as an electrician for the business. Right? Just tomorrow, Steve rings me. He says, here's the thing. I want you to do nothing. I don't want you to quote. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to do any work. I don't want you to do anything at all. In fact, I'm going to do the work, but I'm going to pay you my salary. Right? How does that sound? <laughs> There's other people waiting for the call as well, Steve, just so you know. Right? Now, that is grace. It is unmerited favor. Haven't done anything to earn it. I'm not going to do anything to earn it. It's just simply Steve going to work tomorrow for no other reason than he can earn a salary and give it to me. Oh, but there's a part of us that kicks against that, isn't there? I happen to like Steve. And I can't sit there and say, oh, gee, I can't do that. I've got to go and earn some of that money. I just can't let Steve do it all. And Steve says to me, oh, but Sam, here's the deal. You either accept this freely as unmerited, or you have to earn every penny, and tomorrow you have to go and do the electrical work. Well, now we have a problem, because I will die tomorrow. Not only do I not understand electricity, What I do know about is it it's evil, malevolent, and tries to hunt me down, right? I'm scared of electricity in every way, shape, or form. I would not know what I was doing, and if I tried to earn my reward, I would die in the attempt, because I can't do it. I don't have what is necessary to earn it. This is what the gospel is telling you. Jesus paid the penalty. He did the work and he gives you salvation. And if you try to earn it, even a little bit of it, he says you have to earn it all and you can't. You will fail. And so we walk in grace. We walk in the fact that Christ Paid the penalty of our sin. And we just have to relax and trust and find joy in His grace. You see, this is what the law taught us. Paul says there was nothing wrong with the law, but the purpose of the law, what the law did was it taught us that we couldn't keep it. We're not righteous we weren't able to fulfill the law. The law was good, but no one was able to keep it. Church, let me ask you this dead seriously this morning. If you had to be saved by perfectly fulfilling the law, how would you go? How would you go? No chance. And so Christ fulfilled the law, and he gave you his righteousness. And you were saved by grace. So in the Old Testament, they, they believed they were saved by the law. They were, they were trying to observe the law, but they continually failed. And Romans 3, by the way, tells you that it was only the sacrifice of Christ that paid the penalty of their sin as well. They're still ultimately saved by the sacrifice of Jesus. Read Romans 3, right? Uh, God saved those in the Old Testament through the sacrifice of Jesus. The penalty was met on them. But they understood their salvation as this constant journey of trying to obey the law, failing to obey the law, needing to sacrifice an animal to make atonement for their failure, and then attempting to follow the law and failing, and then making a sacrifice of an animal to make atonement (laughs) And as they studied the word of God, as they struggled in their attempt to keep the law, they looked forward to the day when God himself would provide the sacrifice and grace would be poured out. They looked and they saw a time when even Gentiles would be recipients of that grace, they looked, they studied, and they saw you. They saw what you have this morning, the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus, freely given by his mercy, not earned, transformed by the grace of God. Remember, Peter is writing this to encourage the church. He's writing it to encourage those who were facing persecution. Let me just give you a little bit of an encouragement. It's a slight aside, but I love this image. How was Eve created? Quick question. Anyone? Adam's rib. So, God cut a hole in the side of Adam, took a rib... And he created Eve, a helper fit for him, the wife, the bride of Adam. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve chose sin and plunged the world into curse. Then the scripture tells us Jesus comes as the new Adam, the righteous and obedient Adam. And on the cross, he paid the penalty of your sin and he won his new bride for himself, a helper perfect for him, the church. And what was the final act of Christ on the cross to prove his death for the church? A hole was pierced in his side, which brought the church into being, right? The fulfilled plans and purposes of God are always there. The first Adam and Eve failed. Christ is the new Adam, and he, by his blood, has brought about his new bride, the church. This is your encouragement. This is what Peter wants you to get a hold of, church. Rejoice. Celebrate. This is what Jesus has done to bring you to the Father. So, verse 11. They inquired in advance to these things by the Spirit of Christ. What does that mean? It means that through the work of the Holy Spirit who came upon the prophets, by the will of God, they knew in the future that Christ would come and he would suffer. Again, they searched by the Spirit for the grace that you now enjoy. The righteous for the unrighteous, the Son of God for children of darkness, do you know how many people the gospel offends? The answer's a lot. But it doesn't just offend atheists, by the way. The gospel offends religious people all around the world. Religious people hate the gospel. And it makes sense that they do. I just want you to think about it for a second. This is what Peter is saying. God Almighty, the maker and creator of all things, holy in his perfections, so much greater than us that it cannot be calculated. Almighty God. The first thing we say is that he took on flesh. That alone makes people angry. Almighty God took on flesh. He was born of a woman. He wore nappies. He went to the toilet. He probably whacked his finger with a happy... A hammer. Don't be ridiculous. God take on flesh. It's a big statement, isn't it? And then we say, yes, not only did he take on flesh, not only did he live a normal life, not only did he have to go to school when he was young, Finished really early, kids, but anyway. Not only did he have to do those things, he then died a shameful criminal's death, naked on a cross for all the world to mock and despise. Preposterous. What a ridiculous notion that this almighty, perfect, holy Creator would die on a cross for the very ones who despise him. And that's the gospel. That's what we believe, isn't it? That Jesus, because of his love and his mercy, chose you and died in your place, paying the penalty of your sin, bearing the punishment of the Father, that you would be set how great is our God. How merciful His ways. This is the truth that Peter wants us to understand. Slight pause. If you've been coming here for a while, you know there are certain things that make me twitch. Certain uh, false interpretations of Scripture and certain sayings. And one of those, of course, as many of you would know, is if you were the only person who ever lived, Jesus would have still died for you. That's ridiculous. We have no way of knowing if that's true. That's not in the Bible. We have no idea if he would consider one person worth dying for. In fact, it boggles my mind to think that he would have done that. What I do know is this, though, that he chose sinners who rejected him, chose them and laid down his life for them. And if that's not great enough to show the mercy and glory of our God, then I don't know what is. The fact is, Jesus died for all who are his, and it is absolutely amazing that he would show such mercy and grace to us. Verse 12. I know I mentioned this at the start, but Peter drives this point home for us here for our joy and comfort. It was revealed to the Old Testament prophets that they were not serving themselves, but you. And who is the you here? Well, clearly the readers that Peter was writing to, but it means everyone born again after the death and resurrection of Jesus. The Old Testament prophets realized they were serving you. Who's you? The recipients of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. They knew that they were working for you. They knew that they were serving you. How incredible is that? The prophets suffered, tortured, were thrown in wells. They were killed. They were ridiculed. They were mocked. And by the revelation of God, they knew that when they were doing these things, they were doing it for you. How amazing is that? They did not get to live in the age of grace. They did not get to live in the promise of eternity freely given through the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. They gave up their lives to help prepare the way. They gave up their lives as a foundation of which the gospel is built. And as they laid down their lives by the Spirit, they were said, we know what God is doing. He's using up, he's offering up our lives for you, the recipients of grace. Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Malachi, chosen by God, serving him and serving you. Isn't that amazing? Peter is writing to a Gentile church and he says the heroes of the Jewish faith suffered and died serving you because they laid a foundation, a platform, the coming of Jesus and the giving of grace. This is what we need to grasp through this passage. Truly, this is what we, we most need to cling to in what Peter is telling us here. There is hope and joy in our trials which give them meaning and purpose. And this is really, really, really important. This is what Peter's done. Remember last week what Drew was talking about? Last week, we looked at the fact that God brings us through trials if necessary. Why? Because he's shaping and molding us. So on that day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. God is molding and shaping us. And Peter says, grasp the purpose. The Old Testament prophets, they suffered and they died, but they knew their purpose was to prepare the way for you to receive grace, for you to live in this time of unmerited favor found in Jesus Christ. And we get this. I spoke about this once before, but think about any sport that you train hard for. Think about the countless hours spent physically hurting I'm a former rugby league player, a former boxer, and I've said this. I think about the hits I used to cop in rugby league. If I was sitting on the chair at home and somebody was just doing those same same things to me, right? I couldn't handle that. There's no purpose to it. There's no, there's no drive behind it. I'm not just going to sit there and let someone lay into me, but suddenly to win a game of football. You bet, game on. Why? There's a purpose. There's a goal. What about those who achieve really highly academically? Countless hours alone, studying the books, putting in the time, putting in the effort. Other friends are out partying and having a good time and not even scoring a, a graduating certificate. Yours truly, right? Because um, like, there are people, though, who are—they know what they want. They've decided they're going to be a doctor. They've decided they're going to be a lawyer. They've decided whatever it is they're going to be and they have a goal and they put in the work to achieve the goal. The pain is worth it because of their purpose. One of the things I really, really don't like is modern art. Specifically, performance art. Uh, These things are a joke for political activism. But anyway... Fascinating thing did happen in the 1970s. A woman did an art piece where for six hours she uh, let people do to her whatever they wanted with no consequences and she put on a table a hundred different objects from like a feather to a loaded pistol and she basically invited anyone in who wanted to come in and said whatever you do to me for six hours there will be no consequences. See, performance art. What was interesting was it started out benignly enough, people not doing much at all. By the end, of course, she'd been stripped naked, hair had been torn out, she'd been sliced open with a razor blade and someone had drunk her blood. Right? This all happened. Now, there are many interesting facets to look at in this study. One of which, which we're not really going to address this morning, but after the six hours when it ended and she began to talk and interact like a real person even cried... All of those who had harmed her could not look at her and walked away. It's interesting. When they were able to dehumanise her, they did horrible things to her. Once she began to act human, they couldn't even meet her gaze. This is why, by the way, we call abortion abortion. We try and dehumanise something to make it far easier to deal with. Anyway, that's what not what I want to talk about here. What I want to talk about is this how do you just sit there and cop that abuse? How do you literally sit there while someone cuts open your neck and drinks your blood? How do you do it? I read an interview with her where she said she was amazed herself what you could put up with when you've given yourself over to the purpose. When she'd given herself over to performing this art for six years. Hours, what you can endure when you have purpose and focus. You see, this is what Peter is doing here for his here is and for us. He's given us the big picture reasons for our hope and perseverance. He's explained the certainty of God's love, the future hope of glory that we have, of the thousands of years of longing that people had just to catch a glimpse of what you already have received in Christ. The Christian bowed down is the one who has no more hope than what this world offers. You see, they see their pain and trials and difficulties as pointless. And Peter is saying, no, it's not pointless. Christ is using these things to shape and mold you and prepare you for the eternal weight of glory. He goes even further. He says, those who preached to you, those who have shared the gospel with you, did so by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, even angels have longed to catch a glimpse of what you have received. It's a weird passage. What does that mean? It means that even the angels are amazed, are delighted, are astounded in the grace of God given in Jesus Christ, there is no offer of the gospel to angels. If a third of the angels fell and have become demons, there is no hope of salvation for them. There is no good news proclaimed to angels. But the angels in heaven longed to see what God would do to redeem and save a people from, for Himself. And they stand in awe that Jesus would come and live a life as a man and give His life for you. And the very angels in heaven are stunned at what God has done to give you life through grace. What the Old Testament prophets longed for, what they searched for, what the angels wished to know, has been given to you. Many of you would have heard of Joni Erickson Tata. When she was 17, she had a diving accident where she was made quadriplegic. Right? Her whole life she has spent in a wheelchair. She's a Christian and she tells of initially being angry at God, depressed, hopeless. And then she's used her life to share the gospel and good news with others. And listen to this statement she made Does God miraculously heal? Sure. He does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. She sees a purpose. She sees something bigger in her trial. She sees that she's being prepared for the eternal weight of glory and can even thank God for being bound to a wheelchair. Peter is riding to those suffering. He's riding to those going through trial. And he's not giving them reasons to feel sorry for themselves. He is not promising them a false hope of a miracle. Just believe and tithe and he will set you free. No, rather he is pointing to what you have in Christ, the fulfillment of longing. And he says, rejoice and have hope even in triumph. Those who have suffered and died in the past, they looked for, they longed for what you have. Don't be entitled. Sure, Jesus chose me, he died for me. He gave his righteousness for me. He guarantees me eternal life in the kingdom where he'll give me a new body made perfect and undefiled in that holy place forevermore. He's committed to molding my character and shaping me to the image of Christ, but I want more. No. No, says Peter. You have more than what the prophets of old and the angels of heaven could grasp already in Christ. In short, Don't be Veruca Salt. Remember that what you have is so profound, so amazing, so incredible the prophet's search for it, the angels long to see it. Rest in trial. Be at peace in difficulty, for eternal glory is yours through the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you paid the penalty of our sin. Lord, we thank you that you freely chose to lay down your life, that you who knew no sin would become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, it's all by your grace. We are recipients of such a profound mercy, such a profound grace. Lord, the prophets longed for it. The angels are stunned by it. And may we feel deep gratitude for it. Lord, may those of us who are struggling this morning, Lord, we know there is pain, we know there is trial, but Wayne, we never lose the joy that we have in being chosen by Christ, our sins paid and righteousness and eternal glory guaranteed. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.